You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome. This is Rabbi Francis Nataf, and you're listening to the special Purim edition of my podcast series. We're going to speak about Esther, and more specifically, we're going to speak about how she emerges as a leader and how all of us are expected to be leaders, at least for ourselves. This is going to lead us into a concept that's been controversial over the last several decades, that of Das Torah, or Da Torah, even though I myself am Sephardi, I'm using the Ashkenazi pronunciation because it's more commonly used in, con- in conjunction with this concept of Das Torah. Before we explain what we're speaking about, for those who are uninitiated, I want to go to the Purim story, to the story of Megillat Esther, and focus on one very important moment in that story. And that's towards the end of the fourth chapter, where after being instructed by Mordechai to intervene on behalf of the Jews, to go, for Esther to go to her husband, the king of Persia, and ask for him to to annul the decree against the Jews. This demand on behalf of Mordechai is met by silence, or really by hesitation on the part of Esther, and Mordechai responds by telling her that this is not the way to go, she must act. Now, in this week's uh, Redeeming Relevance, you can see I developed that whole discussion, but here I want to focus more on what Esther does than what Mordechai does, or in the specific moment. Um, As soon as Mordechai motivates Esther to, in fact, take action, one sees that she's brimming with action. She has a plan. Um, It could well be that then the plan was thought out even during the moments of hesitation. But be that as it may, when Esther finally comes out with a plan, it is very sophisticated, it's very complicated, involves various components, the Jews on the one hand, um, herself coming with an invitation to a party, to her, uh, to her husband, Achashverosh and Haman, uh, which leads to a second party. All of this is a very elaborate plan. My point being that Esther takes great deal of action once she decides to take it. And these actions are... Uh, developed on her own without Mordechai, who is the rabbi, is the leading rabbinic figure at the time, uh, the leader of the Jewish people. And up until this point, she he is her leader as well, meaning he's the one who gives her instructions. At this point, the situation reverses, and she's the one who's giving the instructions, because ultimately the plan will only succeed based on her carrying it through. So therefore, instead of just simply asking Mordechai for more uh, feedback on what to do, she concocts the plan on her own. As I mentioned before, a highly developed plan, a multifaceted plan. So what's going on here? And what does that have to do with Das Torah or Da Torah? So Da Torah, 
Dast, or as I promised I would pronounce it, is the idea that one goes to a Torah scholar for their opinion in order to help one make a decision. It's really usually stronger than that, not so much to help one make a decision, but to have that person, that Torah scholar, that rabbinic figure, make the decision for one. Now, this is a complicated issue and obviously is worth more study than we can give to it in our few minutes of time. But what is interesting about this concept of Das Torah, it must be understood that when one asks a rabbi for such a, an opinion, for such advice uh, to help one and, or, again, to, to make one's decision for one, one is essentially going to such a rabbi uh, in a situation where the halakha is not clear, meaning that one has either choices within the halakha, um, that the halakha does not speak about it, meaning Jewish law doesn't necessarily have what to say about it. For example, uh, many people go to their rabbis to help them decide uh, who to vote for in elections, right? So one could object that this is not really an issue that pertains to rabbis, what have you. But the, 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 the example is a good example nonetheless. The idea being that we're dealing with an issue that has some sort of religious, spiritual, or ethical uh, connection, uh, component and that's why one turns to the rabbi. In other words, one should not turn to the rabbi to ask them what they should have for breakfast, even though uh, there is possibly some, is- some religious issues there as well. And those issues being that the food one eats for breakfast can, in fact, be healthier or less healthy, and that has some implications onto other issues that are related to spirituality, to religion, to leading a right life. But be that as it may, if one is dealing with two healthy choices, then certainly asking the rabbi's opinion would be presumably out of place. So let's go back to the question of elections. Um, one goes to the rabbi because one feels the rabbi has more of a Torah background, more knowledge of the Torah literature, and his decision is based on better and deeper backgrounds such that the decisions that he made, that he's making about such issues as an election are more informed by that background. And since we ideally all want to conform to what the Torah wants of us. Therefore, even in non-halachic areas, we'd want to try to have as much Torah guidance as possible. So in and of itself, that seems like a wise idea. One would want an expert in any field to help us with decisions in areas that we know less about. And again, we're not dealing with halacha per se. The idea is that rabbis, or not necessarily rabbis, but Torah scholars, uh, people with 
a deep and profound spiritual understanding of the Torah bring more to the table with them in terms of making decisions that, again, interact with religious, spiritual, and ethical issues. So that would seem to make sense. And again, I think it's entirely appropriate to do such a thing, whether one should take it as a decision as opposed to advice is, is another issue. But certainly, in terms of its wisdom, there is wisdom in going to someone who knows more than oneself about an issue that is related to their knowledge. Right? Again, one can discuss what are those issues is, uh, if, if we agree that election, uh, excuse me, that, that eat, uh, which eat for breakfast is not such an issue, that elections might be such an issue, that um, deciding what books to learn, right, uh, what books to study, uh, certainly there's no, usually there's no rule about what book one has to study. So one might be well uh, advised to go to a rabbi and ask them, what book should I study next? Uh, how long should I study it for? These are all questions that are not determined by the halakha, but clearly have an important religious aspect to them. So we have come to the conclusion that this is a good idea. The only question is how to deal with it, meaning in what circumstances, how much authority do we want to give over to this uh, rabbinic expert uh, in terms of helping us with our decisions. So those are open questions. I'm not going to deal with them this evening. But what I do want to talk about is how this relates to the story that we spoke about at the beginning of the podcast. And that is Esther uh, concocting her own plan as to how to make things work for the Jewish people. Now, it's interesting that we, we're speaking about Esther using her own Das Torah. Uh, perhaps Mordechai was out of reach. Perhaps she felt that Mordechai's understanding of the court was not as profound or as deep as hers, and therefore there was no reason to ask Mordechai for advice um, in this situation. So this is a situation where Esther decided she had to take action on her own. There was no one else to turn to. And I want to talk about that, that whether one uses the notion of Das Torah to approach rabbinic experts, and I think it's a good thing to do, I would describe that as a positive thing to do. I think, unfortunately, in modern orthodoxy, uh, we do it too little. But be that as it, as it may, one comes to certain situations in which one is one's own best expert, meaning one has to ask dat Torah, das Torah, of oneself. I think ultimately this is where the Torah tries to uh, bring about in every individual, meaning that there always will be situations where you're not going to be able to ask, either because there's no need to ask, that you're the best expert on it. Ideally, every person should study Torah in such a way that they develop their own depth and understanding. But even if not, there will always be situations where you yourself are the best expert 
to understand the ramifications ethically, spiritually, religiously. Um, the more one is educated, the more frequent that's going to be the case. The less one is educated, the less frequent that's going to be the case. But be that as it may, God is most interested, I think. I mean, I didn't speak with him on this, but this is my understanding. Uh, he's interested in how we respond to situations. He wants to know and to see where there's no clear-cut answer when the halakha is silent about what to do. What is our inkling? What is our leaning? What makes more sense to us? Ultimately, Torah is all about getting our sense of right and wrong to be fine-tuned. The more, and this is the idea of Das Torah, that the more refined the individual is, the more fine-tuned their sense of right and wrong is going to be. But all along the way, as we grow, we're identified by our own sense of what is right and wrong. And that's what we really have to be developing ourselves for in everything that we do in our Torah education and continuing education and development. I want to give another example of leaving the decision up to ourselves. There's a very interesting position of Rav Avram Ibn Ezra on the Kruvim in last week's Parsha, in Parsha Tirumah. And the Kruvim, usually translated as cherubs, are the figures that sit on top of the ark, um, winged figures. As far as what they actually are, so I said they're often translated as cherubs. In fact, cherub sounds like Kruvim. I think it's actually derived from the word Karuv, Kruvim in Hebrew. Uh, with the understanding that a karuv is in fact a cherub, a small uh, child, that uh, a small angelic type of child. So that's the main line understanding. But in fact, and I'm not going to go through the whole topic uh, now, but in fact the word karuv is less easily defined than we might think and leads to a lot of discussion. The Eben Ezra, and he has good reasons for saying this, doesn't mean he's necessarily right, but the Eben Ezra, Avram Ibn Ezra on the Torah, says that the karuv is really, the, the word karuv just means figure. It doesn't tell you what it looks like at all. It's, it's uh, really uh, sort of nondescript at all, meaning uh, a lion can be a karuv. Uh, I think he, he gives an example, not of a lion, but of a shawl of an ox, an ox is called a karuv, right? We know that the guardians of Gan Eden are kruvim, so it tells us, uh, Eben Ezra, that they're figures, they're, they're three, uh, four dim- uh, three-dimensional uh, beings. So here also is very interesting that it could come out, according to Eben Ezra, that God commanded Moshe in, to command his staff of artisans to make figures and didn't actually tell him what these figures needed to be, meaning that he left that decision to their best understanding. I think that if we study the Torah 
carefully, we would actually see that Esther is not the only character that's left to her own devices. All the heroes, essentially, the moments of truth are not ones where they have someone else to go to, not even God. They essentially want to see what are they going to do in such a situation. And I think this is an important message that exists within Judaism that needs to be developed more. The concept of Das Torah that we get from others, getting their best understanding of what to do where there's no clear-cut right and wrong is one aspect of that. But the whole point of it is to develop our own Das Torah, our own sense of what is right and wrong when these things are not clear-cut. And that turns into who we are. So in that, we have to emulate Esther in this regard. Uh, very interesting that the Gemara actually says that Esther was a prophetess uh, and Mordechai was not. So there's, there's one opinion that he is, but apparently rejected. Uh, be that as it may, once he's no indication of this prophecy in, in the Purim story, neither on behalf of Mordechai or on behalf of Esther, what we do see in the story is that there are two individuals in a situation where uh, the theme of Purim is essentially that God is hiding and therefore wants to see what we're going to do when he is in hiding, when there's no prophecy, when there's no clear-cut answer. And uh, that is the situation that we're quite familiar with, and I think it's a situation that we have to become more comfortable with to develop our own decision-making abilities guided by Torah and Halakha. Again, this is not saying where the Halakha tells you to do X, you should decide to do Y. But rather, in a situation where Torah says do X or Y, the Torah says, well, there's no real halachic preference, there's no legal preference of, uh, of anything over here. You can do X, Y, Z, A, B, C. There's, not, there's no halachic issue, but that does not mean there's no moral, religious, or spiritual issue in place. Not everything is subsumed by halakha. And much of life that is most significant is actually devoid of halakha, and I would say purposely so. Not to take away from the halakha, but rather to develop our own sense of right and wrong. I'm going to leave you with that and wish you a, a happy Purim, Purim Sameach, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.